0: Whenever my family gets a different vehicle, I always institute a strict no eating in the carpool. And this usually lasts for a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two until it becomes inconvenient for us. Last year we bought this minivan and I once again put my foot down and decided we are not gonna eat in the minivan. I wanna keep this as clean as long as possible because I know that once we eat in a vehicle, all bets are off and it'll never be clean again and there's no turning back from that. And, and we kept our no eating in the van policy for a while until COVID hit. And then, one day, we were getting takeout from a restaurant, like we would do about once a week. And usually, we would go back home and eat it or go to a local park. But this time, we really didn't have time to stop anywhere or go anywhere or to make it back home before we had to be somewhere else. So, our minivan became a pop-up restaurant. Most meals in our family happen around a table, either our own dining room table or a restaurant or a friend's table. But sometimes meals are where you are meals. in Our culture, they happen actually pretty often. This seems to be even more the case when you're around people who eat all the time. My kids like to eat and they go through periods where I feel like they're gonna eat us out of house and home where we can't keep enough food in their mouth. And you're likely to see my children with a snack in their mouth at almost any given point in time. I think about the actor Brad Pitt. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but in his movies, he eats a lot on screen. In fact, there's a supercut of Brad Pitt eating where it's just 15 or more minutes of him eating on screen because Brad Pitt is often found eating on screen. I imagine that if you took a supercut of Jesus eating in the Bible, it would be pretty long because pretty often when we read stories about Jesus in the Bible, it revolves around food. He's often eating at people's homes, at our dinner parties. He's out and about eating pretty often. But not all of his meals were at tables or dinner parties. Some of them were on-the-go meals, like the one we're gonna look at today from Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, the 12 Jesus' closest followers had just returned from traveling village to village, preaching the good news and healing the sick. And when they return, we pick up in, in chapter 9, verse 10, it says, on their return, the apostles told Jesus all that they had done. So he took them with him and withdrew privately to a city called Bethsaida. See they're they're regrouping and they want to get away so they go to this city. But then when the crowds found out about it they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed to be cured. The day was drawing to a close, and the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside to lodge and get provisions, for we are here in a deserted place. But Jesus said to them, and he uses an emphatic direct command response, You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there are about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did so and made them sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke them. And he gave them to his disciples to set before the crowd. And all ate and were filled. What was left over was gathered up, 12 baskets of broken pieces." See, Jesus here is trying to get away with his disciples. He's trying to spend some quality time with them to regroup, to re-energize, because they've been busy doing hard work. They've been traveling by foot from village to village, healing people and spending time with people and teaching people. And when they get back, they just need some downtime. To make matters worse, we find out in Luke chapter 9 that Jesus has caught the attention of Herod. Herod was a political figure who was not always nice. That's probably putting it mildly. In fact, he had recently executed Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. And now we find out that Jesus is on his radar. And so Jesus has all this pressure on him, and his closest followers have just returned from doing some hard work, and they just want to get away. If you were to say this crowd was a disruption, you would be an understatement. But Jesus welcomed them. They were here interrupting their, their sleep, their downtime, their catching up, their camaraderie, their sharing stories from the road. But Jesus welcomes the crowd. I want you to think about how much time and energy and resources it takes to put on just a small meal for friends and family. Like, Let's say you have a gathering of just some of your your close friends or family members. How much time and energy do you spend getting the house ready or doing the grocery shopping or or making sure you have everything in just the right place? It takes a lot of time and energy to host people. Try planning a meal for thousands of people, even just something simple. Let's say you want to do peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for 5,000 people. How much money is that going to cost you? How many knives are you going to need to spread the jelly? You know, who's, who's going to determine whether or not the bread's cut on a diagonal or down the middle? How are you going to distribute all of this food? How are you going to keep it fresh while everybody's getting their food? What are you going to do with all these resources? Trying to feed a group this large is impractical. So when the 12 disciples come to Jesus and they're like, hey, send these people off to lodge and to get their own resources, they're being very practical. They're being reasonable in response to this. But instead of thinking rationally or reasonably about this, Jesus tells them that they need to be responsible for providing. He says, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Often we tell this story as an example of Jesus's miraculous ability over nature, or Jesus's miraculous ability to provide, even when we don't have resources. And it is that, it's very much that. But what we need to understand is that Jesus stepped in to provide because his followers didn't. He told them to solve this problem, to take care of these people's needs, and they didn't step up to the plate. See, we don't like needy people. I can imagine the apostles saying something like, why didn't these people prepare better? Didn't they know they were coming to hear Jesus and he talks for a long time and they were gonna be gone from home for a while? Why didn't they bring their own lunch with them? Or, or maybe they would say something like, aren't these people responsible for their own well-being? Why can't they take care of their own, their own selves? Don't these people have jobs to provide for themselves? Why aren't they working and providing their own resources? We don't like needy people. Even when I was filming this, I had someone walk up to me off the street who was in need of some clothing, and they disrupted the filming of this. And my first response is, wow, they messed up a good take. It wasn't, oh, that person has a need I can fill. Let me step up and do that. No, it was they disrupted me because we see needy people as a disruption, but Jesus welcomed them. And this wasn't the first time. See, Jesus isn't bothered by people's needs. When he launched his ministry, he went to a synagogue in his hometown, and he read from the prophet Isaiah, and this is what it says. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, "...the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor." See, of all the people Jesus could have brought his message to, he knew that he was sent to those in need. Because God cares about people who are poor, people who are in need. He always has. Listen to what the Psalms say. Psalm 12, 5 says this, The Lord replies, I have seen violence done to the helpless. I have heard the groans of the poor. Now I will rise up to rescue them, as they have longed for me to do. Or, or Psalm 72, 1-4 through 4, that says this, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May the mountains yield prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor, of the people, give deliverance to the needy, and crush the oppressors. See, we can debate policies and systems all day long and figure out what's the best way to address people's needs. But the thing that's not up for debate is whether or not God cares about the poor, whether or not God cares about those in need because it's clear from the very get-go that he does. God cares deeply. He hears the groans of the poor, and he longs for us to be involved in the process of reaching out and resourcing those without resources. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 7 and 8 and then 10 and 11. If there is among you... Anyone in need, a member of your community, in any of the towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you. Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your needy neighbor. You should rather open your hand, willingly lending enough to meet the need, whatever it may be. Give liberally and be ungrudging when you do so. For on this account, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake, since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth. Therefore, I command you, open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. God cares about people in need. God cares about the poor. God cares about those with limited resources. And God is asking us to care about them too. So why don't we? Why is it that when we see a needy person, we see someone who's poor, someone who doesn't have resources, we see them as an inconvenience. We see them as a disruption. But we don't care about their needs. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus said this. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, once again, Jesus is eating or talking about eating. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case that they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. See, Jesus' table was open to everyone. He's set an example for us that everyone is welcomed. It's not just those with enough resources or those who can pay their own way or those who've made successful business dealings in the world. No, his table is open to everyone. And he's asking us to do the same. That when we share a meal, when we consider how to use our resources, we take into consideration the needs of those around us. Each week we take the Lord's Supper, we take communion together, and we eat bread, and we drink a cup, and we do these simple elements to remind us that Jesus offered his body and his blood for us. But when we do this, we're also reminding ourselves that Jesus invited us to have a seat at the table. And it wasn't because we were good enough, or smart enough, or had enough resources, or had the right education, or the right background, spoke the right language, or had the right skin color. It wasn't because of any of these things that we were invited to the table. God welcomes everyone to the table and we need to do the same.